Let's go to First Samuel 24. I had an experience uh, some years ago. Kathy and I were um, visiting some assemblies in Queensland, but in between, uh, we had a day where we went out and hired a yacht and just a little plaything, nothing big. Um, you know, something that they let beginners use. And um, and the um, uh, they sort of told us basically how to use it. And uh, I thought, this looks like fun. And uh, I'd never really sailed one on my own that I can recall. I, I'd helped somebody when I was younger. Um, we went out, the guy I was working with needed somebody to help him in the National uh, Mosquito Championships, which is a boat, not a, an insect. And um, so my first ride was out in these championships, uh, hanging out off the wire, which I thought was pretty exciting at the time. Um, and um, I never sort of did it again until this particular occasion with Kathy. And so I sort of thought, oh, I think I know a little bit about this. And so away we went. But they, they had sort of cordoned off an area. You weren't supposed to go beyond that area and um, or had some markers that you, you weren't supposed to go beyond. And as I gained in confidence, I thought, oh, you know, just a little bit, and um, which I shouldn't have done. And I ended up going across um, another rope coming off of a boat that was sort of yacht that was sitting there. Um, and um, anyway, it sort of stopped us and we couldn't go any further. And we're sort of sitting there next to this other uh, boat and I'm trying to somehow or other get the rope out from under the back of our boat and bobbing up next to another one and trying to pick the right moment that my hand's not going to get crushed. And I'm thinking, what on earth did I do deciding that I can go out a little further than what they said I could? And, uh, and I was, I was wanting to call for help, but nobody was nearby, nobody cared. And, um, they had trusted us to do the right thing. And eventually, uh, in between risky moments of bobbing up and down, and you can sort of, uh, anybody here ever sailed in a boat, in a little yacht? Okay, you will probably know a lot better than I do. Um, but as they're sort of going like this right next to each other, they're big things. If you get your hands stuck in there, it's going to be a mess. Um, but finally, I managed to, to get this rope out from underneath and to be able to be free again to, to get away from there. And I just wanted to tell that little story because um, I guess that uh, today I want to talk about the heart. Um, but I want to maybe look at a story here where we find that there was a temptation here to go near the edge or to go beyond the line that was safe. And let's just have a little look at the story. So in chapter 24 and verse 1, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi, and then Saul took three thousand chosen men uh, out of all the out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. They didn't sort of have the regular hired toilets that you could just use, so he's sort of gone into a hiding spot here. 
and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now for those who don't know the story of King Saul and David, King Saul was a man who was the first uh, chosen king of Israel and um, he started out well. He, uh, he had the blessing of the Lord upon him. And, um, but there came a point where um, I suppose that what really happened was that his heart was hardened against the Lord. And we find that um, he, without going through all the stories, he had disobeyed the Lord and it didn't do him any good. And there was a young man brought in to help him through his bad moods that had come over him. This young man was David. And David would play on the harp and it would soothe him during his bad moods. Um, but David also, um, of course, was very successful when he slew Goliath. And this became a real threat to the king. And he, uh, he just couldn't survive in his role easily with somebody else being so young and successful. And it got the better of him, and eventually he started to hunt down David and to do whatever he could to rid himself of this popular young David who now was on the run. And so David here is on the run, and and he's hiding in this cave, and along comes the king, his enemy. And so we see the king has gone into the cave, but David's already in there with his men. And in verse 4, and the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said to thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. Now, this would not be an easy thing to do. He is, just to try to picture ourselves, that we've got one man thinking he's alone in the cave, Another one comes along very quietly, wanting no squeaks, no rocks to be knocked over, no nothing, no echo, and he's going to just cut off a piece of his clothing. And But in, in fact, he's being egged on by his friends, killing. This is your day. No one will ever know. We'll walk out of this cave. No one will ever know. It'll be finished, be, be over. People will wonder where the king went. And um, But... David decides in himself that he can't go as far as they're daring him, but he can do this. So he just takes a bit of the road. And in verse 5, And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, Seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. Now this is a this is a, a great reaction by David. Now we read of David that he was a man after the Lord's own heart. And even though he's being egged on, he knows that he has to live with his own decisions. It wasn't them that were going to have to live with the decision. It was him. And if he decided to take the king's life then that would have been with him for the rest of his days. And something, I guess, very good about David is that 
he always seems to be aware that the Lord is traveling with him. That even when he's sort of almost on his own and no one can see what he's doing, he just feels, I've got to answer to God. God is, God has been with me for good. God has always stood by me and helped me. Now why will I turn against what God has wanted me to do? Just because it might get rid of my problem. You know, here's my chance. I can do it in my own strength. I can get rid of my problem. It's been bothering me day in, day out. And now I'll take matters into my own hands. And, and he could have justified it. He had friends who were egging him on to do it and to say, go on, go on, you can do it. And we get that in life. I remember uh, growing up that I had, um, I guess I had a pretty good upbringing um, via my parents. They, they kept our life pretty safe. Um, but when I, I think I was about year seven, and there was a chap lived in the same street uh, that went to the same school, and he um, uh, he came from a broken home, and so he was probably a bit freer to do a few things that had never come into our household. And so uh, he had a friend or two, and, and I'm not blaming anybody, but what they started to get into was not what I was used to. And so they started to introduce me to smoking and going to a shop, take something that's not yours. And and, and I can remember at the time uh, that the adrenaline really gets going when you do something which is beyond what you know is right. And it was beyond what my parents' standards were. It's beyond what I thought God wanted me to do. It was beyond what was even really in my own conscience. But somehow, because of the circumstances, I felt egged on to go and give it a go and, the, and, and just see what it might bring. Well, I can tell you my memory of it was I didn't sleep well. I didn't feel good in myself. I didn't feel good with my parents. I didn't feel good before God, who I didn't know at that time, but I just felt there was a God that watched all things. And I'm glad that I grew out of it fairly quickly before I uh, got caught or um, went down the wrong road too far. Um, but it it does um, it is life when we're growing up that people will egg us on to do things that maybe are more than we want to do. And then we have to decide in our own heart what do we want to do? What do, what do I personally value? What do I, what do I think is important in life? And, and make a decision according to that. And so here we find David that he acts, uh, he, he sort of pulls back. He goes a little bit of a way, but he still feels bad for what he's done. So we'll read on in verse seven. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. So the other guys are going, well, if you're not going to do it, we'll do it. So they're ready for action to take care of the king. And David's saying no. But Saul rose up out of the cave, not knowing how protected he'd been, and went on his way. And David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. 
And for all that this king was doing to him, he never lost his sense of respect. That this was God's chosen king, and no matter how badly he behaved, he never lost his sense of respect to him. And I guess he kept a respect for himself at the same time by by not behaving badly towards the king. Um, if you keep your finger there, let's just go to Second Kings chapter nineteen. Now there was a. I just want to make a little comparison, just in a couple of verses here. There was a king that came against Israel, and he was the king of the Assyrians, and the Assyrians were known for being savage. And their history uh, today, I remember going through the uh, uh, the British Museum and having it explained in some detail about the Assyrians. Um, here in verse 35, it's going to speak of one of these kings. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred fourscore and five thousand. When they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Uh, so Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. So God had actually fought against this savage king that was trying to uh, come against Israel. In verse 37, And it came to pass as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, that Adramalak and Shereza his sons smote him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Armenia, and Ezahadon his son reigned in his, in his stead. I wonder if this is a little bit living by the sword, dying by the sword. We have a king here that goes and, and uh, it just takes over country after country, enforces his ways and teaches his sons the same method. And in the end, they just want to be rid of him. Gone. See you later. So if we just come back now to First Samuel 24 and we think of David who, is, who has been anointed to be king and he's not king yet, but one day he will be. And... And here he is just saying, I'm not going to behave like that to my king, no matter how he's behaved towards me. And verse 9, And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not, know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. So it's a real confession here by David. He's feeling bad about what he's done. And, and he's saying to the king, he's appealing to the king. He's not demanding, he's just saying, can't you see? I've got nothing against you. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to take your life. I had the best chance in the world of people to assist me. But I'm not here to take your life. And, and, and I feel, feel bad about what I've done. And, and he said, you, you, but you keep chasing me. And in verse 12, he said, the Lord judged between me and thee and the Lord avenge me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. 
As saith the prophet of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? Uh, after a flea? Um, um, yeah. The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good for that thou hast done for me today. And now behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. What an amazing conversation between these two men. And and had David approached it another way, he would have had a completely different result. It took more courage for him to withhold his hand in some ways uh, because it just all seemed so right. It all seemed so justified to say, okay, I'm going to fix his little red wagon and a bit more. It seemed, it seemed like that to him, but, but God had shown him a better way. And, and so David was, was here really guarding his heart. I just want to quickly look across the, across the page um, to chapter 26. And I won't go into this whole story, but David ends up... Um, he guards the sheep for a certain man by the name of Nabal, not to be confused with my name. Um, he was a, a very um, angry man. And, um, sorry, is it 26? Looking for it here. 25, yeah. Chapter 25. And, and he then. While they've guarded this man's sheep, David after a while finds his own men are very hungry and he just would like to be able to have a bit of food. And this man denies them any food, this man Nabal. And, uh, and he gets, uh, David just gets really riled up this time. And whereas he had shown respect to the king, he now wasn't showing respect to a person who was just an everyday farmer. And so he gets his men, and he, this time he's going in for the kill. And this time he's not guarding his heart. He, he, he feels personally totally justified in what he's going to do. But fortunately, there's somebody, one person, who's got a bit of wisdom in this circumstance, and it's this man Nabal's wife, Abigail. And she's a, she's a wonderful example in the Scriptures of a person who had wisdom and control of her own emotions. And she actually makes a whole lot of food. She brings it then to David and she stops him as he's uh, about to come down on her husband. And in verse 23 of chapter 25, And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted off the ass and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. 
and fell at his feet and said, Upon me, my Lord, upon me let this iniquity be, and let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience and hear the words of thine handmaid. Let not, my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal. That wasn't probably the nicest thing to have to call her husband, but he wasn't obviously an easy bloke. Uh, For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst send. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord hath withholden thee from coming to shed blood, and from avenging thyself with thine own hand, now let thine enemies, and they that seek evil to my Lord, be as Nabal. And now this blessing which thine handmaid has brought unto my Lord, let it even be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil has not been found in thee all thy days. So she's heard the testimony of David. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul, but the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. That's a safe place. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. And it, it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel. So she even knows he's going to become the king. In verse 31, That this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offensive heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. And so she's appealing to him and just saying, when you become king, don't let this event here ruin the rest of your life. But if you come in and you take his life and you feel you're justified in doing it, how well are you going to sleep afterwards for having had your moment there? And she's saying, God is on your side. And she speaks to his heart and saying, don't make a wrong move here. Today is a very important day on your calendar. Don't make a wrong move here. And he reacts well in verse 32. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice, and blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. Hallelujah for every bit of good advice we listen to, all the people said. Whether that advice comes to us from our Bible, whether it comes from, uh, in some way we, we hear the Lord through advice of other people, but when we hear it and we spare ourselves trouble, we do ourselves a big favour. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs 4 verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. If there's anything we've got to look after, we can look after houses, we can look after cars, we can look after our studies, but this scripture is saying, look after our heart. It's the most important thing. It's where the desires are, the intentions, the motivations of our life. And it's saying he put a big guard around it, that nothing gets in to to affect it the wrong way, whether that's friends, 
as David had in the cave. Guard yourself from those friends who would have you do the wrong thing. And, and hear those that would give us good things to feed our heart to be strong and to be faithful and to be the things that God would want us to be. Value those people more than anything. I remember when I was that young boy in year seven and I was starting to experiment with things that weren't probably going to do me a lot of good. And my teacher started to, to notice that I started to get chatty, back chatty. I wouldn't do the tie up properly at school. And, um, and all of a sudden, the teachers watch and I remember her, her seeing a change in my attitude and having a bit of a go at me. And, uh, and I wished I'd listened. But you sort of, once you get into that mood of listening to the wrong people, then the right people become your enemy. And you start, no, I don't want to hear you. I don't want to hear you. I know what you're going to say, but I don't want to hear you. And so I kept with those who were not good advisors experimenting with the side that wasn't helpful for me. And and I'm, I'm sure it happens to many of us. I was talking to a brother the other day about uh, experiences um, earlier on in his life. And he said that um, when he was younger, he got together with a lady and um, he said it all ended up a big mess. And I said, why was that? He said, oh, I was the problem. He said, I was drinking and uh, he said, I was taking drugs. He said, it, um, it blurred my vision. He said, I guess that's why they call it dope. And uh, he said, I was no good to her at all. She was, she was lucky to be free of me. But the Lord gave him a chance. And he got some good advice later that brought him to the Lord. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden he was surrounded by people that could direct him the right way. Keep thy heart with all diligence. Don't go near the edge. Don't, don't uh, allow ourselves to be persuaded in directions that are not good for our own lives. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. For those who are here for the first time or second or third and you're still watching, trying to figure out um, whether this is what you want your life to be and it hasn't sort of quite come clear yet. Let's just have a little look here at the beginning of the church and uh, a miracle that God performed where he wanted to show people a far better way. So in verse 1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the disciples were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit uh, gave utterance. And we'll read on uh, in verse um, uh, 16, where Peter the Apostle explains this, to the crowd round about. He says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And God came in, centre stage, into people's lives. And they found the miraculous power of God working in them. 
And today, we've got exactly this experience here in this group of people. And I know we've probably asked this question before, but just for the sake of people visiting here, how many people have had this experience of receiving the Holy Spirit? Look at that. Now, God hasn't changed. And he knows that our heart is going to get pulled this way and that way. He knows that we've got our families, our friends, our traditions, our things that are pulling us this way, things that are pulling us that way. And then there's God. And he wants to pull us his way. And so he came in with this experience and said, I'm not going to leave you in any doubt. I'm going to make such a clear experience for you that you will never, ever forget. And then you can walk away and decide, okay, do I want to hang on to this or not? But until you've had this experience, you can't really decide because you haven't tasted of God. You've only heard and seen and, and had influences here and influences there. And people will drag us into all sorts of dangers. And like Brian was saying in his testimony before, we will go to the edge of destruction. Firstly with his health, then to alcohol, then to marriage problems. It rolls from one to the other. And some people here, some people will say, well, don't go here because this is the edge of destruction. As Satomi was saying, she was being advised, don't go there. So which is it? And we've got to decide for ourselves. But don't weigh it up until you've tasted it. Don't, don't decide. You know, here you have an opportunity to come forward today and say, Lord, can my life be changed? Because I don't want to be making decisions just by what my friends say. I want to make a decision like David, that when I go to sleep, I can rest with the decision that I have made. And I want to be able to humbly stand before God and say, okay, God, I've done it your way. Because if we do it any other way than God's way, judgment day is not going to be a lot of fun. But if we do it today because we want to get it right with God, he will bless your life. And just as Abigail said to David, your life will be bound up in the bundle of the Lord. It will be a safe place. It will be a, it will be a good place to be. And you can leave behind the troubles and the uncertainties and the worries and grab hold of this. Now, when this was shown on this day, it says that, there was a lot of people listening and watching. And in verse 37, if we just read there, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. That's, a, that's the sort of reaction that God wants to get through. I mentioned before about King Saul. He had become hardened in his heart. No more about God to me. You know, you meet people saying, Don't talk to me about God. Not interested. And, and they shut the door. They've hardened their heart. They won't let anybody in. Hopefully today, you're willing to let the Lord in. Just say, okay, Lord, if you're, if you're going to prove yourself to me, I'll, I'll do this. Um, this isn't a dare. This is not for something dangerous. This is an invitation into something safe. Away from what is dangerous. And so when they were pricked in their heart, they, they asked a question. They said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, 
repent or turn turn around completely. Change of mind and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is to you and your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Sometimes people think that these experiences are only for certain people. And uh, we were reminded a little while ago with the lady who came along here that she had been taught that it was only for certain people. And one day her little child that was playing a, a song for the Lord just started singing in another language. This child received the Holy Spirit singing in tongues. And uh, she went, really? It can happen to a child? And she realised then it could happen to her. It wasn't just for certain people and not for others. And so here this promise is just so real that today if you want to rest in your own heart and know that you're safe with God and that forever, for eternity, you've got nothing to worry about, then today we have a baptism tank. Not next year, well, it's not that far away. Not in a year's time. Not after you've done a long course. Because any long course we take you through is going to be hard work for you. But, but when you come humbly and just say, Lord, I'll do it your way. I don't want to do it my way anymore. I've tried. I've gone this way. I've gone that way. None of it's worked. Now, I'll just come and I'll, like David did before the king, I'll bow myself. Say, Lord, I give over. Your way. We've got bathers and gowns, everything here for you to be baptized today. And what you need to bring with you is not the completion of a study course. What you need to bring with you is just a willing heart. You bring a willing heart, the rest is a lay-down desire. It's easy. You get filled with the Holy Ghost. You're speaking another language, a prayer language to God. It's not scary. It might sound scary, but it is. it's actually a very... So many words different people use. It's, it's an easy experience. We just put our trust in the Lord. I remember when it happened to me, I just felt like a jug filling up. And all of a sudden, these words started to come out of my mouth that I've never ever said before, and they were good words, I think. <laughs> they were words to God that I didn't understand, but God understood. And, and he, and, and I felt a reassurance. For the first time in my life, a reassurance of where I stood with God. And, and that's what God has in store for you here today. We are not playing church here. Nobody wants to, to get you to sign up for a membership. Nobody's uh, trying to get you to become all of a sudden, you know, I've got the revival T-shirt. What we're trying to do is get you into the kingdom of God. And today, it's an early booking. You can get into the kingdom of God today. Jesus said in one place, to know the Father is eternal life. So if you know the Father today, you have signed up for eternal life. And it can't be taken away. It's yours for keeps. Come and grab it today. Don't hesitate. Don't worry about what your friends are saying. Don't let them, as with David, the bad advice, avoid it. Take the good advice of Abigail and say, I want my life bound up in the bundle of the Lord. All the people said...